Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Now, let me welcome somebody who's been away way, 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 way too long. He is, of course, a, a journalist at MTV. He also does a side hustle over at the Smithsonian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> True Life is the name of the series, and he is Domati Pongo. It is great to be back. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. Miss you too. You're looking good, sir. You're looking, Thank you're looking you. shiny because everybody wants to shine, not shiny in the way of like your 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 face is beautiful. It's not. It's matte. <laughs> got a nice matte finish, but you are shining, I sir. I see you. I see you. I appreciate right. you. All right. I know you're here to talk about uh, religious killing or re- jealous rage, which uh, aired last night at 10, 10 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Season yep, two premiered last night. Season two, True Life Crime episode was really good really interesting because there was a couple uh lgbtq couple who was unidentified two black women they were found dead near a dumpster and folks didn't know who they were what their identities were later on you find out that they're a couple then you dig deeper they start investigating and asking questions of the family one of the women's fathers was deeply homophobic was a pastor and said that girl is going to be the death of you so for a while he was the suspect turns out the other girl's father was the one who murdered both of them. It was, it was crazy. It premiered last night, so I can give all the spoilers, but it was a very sad story. Brittany Cosby and Crystal Jackson were their names. And um, as you know, with True Life Crime, it's not just a true crime show, but we also explore what does religion and LGBTQ lifestyles look like in the black community. We have that conversation. So it's, it was a jam packed show for sure. Wow. Um, I, just, I was thinking as you were talking, Amir Baraka um, had, had a daughter um, and she, she was murdered by somebody, uh, uh, her sister's husband, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you think about, you know, the vulnerability of folk, you know, living their lives, living their happy lives, trying to be themselves and mm-hmm. to have your life taken by somebody who birthed you, who, who gave seed to your being. Wow. And, and the reason behind it was so layered because the guy, the dad um, who, who committed this, James Cosby, had just gotten out of jail. And he, the, the belief is that he was jealous of his daughter who had become the man of the household taking care of his mom, her grandmother. And so, you know, there was rumors that she had put the daughter in the will, but didn't put the granddaughter in the will, but didn't put the, the son in the will. And, um, you know, so that, there was that layer okay. too. That part we didn't get to get into in the episode, but just... Thinking about that, like the emasculation that this guy felt, he got angry, an argument kicked off, and the girlfriend must have busted in while they were arguing. That's how people are piecing it together. And then shot her too. You know, it was just a heavy thing. But it's, like, like you said, it's, it's, just, it's just so layered, so layered. But why is it that when men feel emasculated, they feel they have to kill people? And, right, and that's the, that's the million dollar question. And like, I don't know the answer to that, but if I could hypothesize, I think a part of it is because we don't, men aren't really taught how to unpack how we feel about things. I'm not saying every man results to violence, but if we're talking about literally toxic masculinity, not in the way that we talk about it on Twitter, but I'm talking about when it leads to crime for real, that's when someone doesn't know how to let out their frustration, how to use their words like, like an adult should, how to talk about what they're feeling because you just came out of a situation where, you know, this guy was a sexual deviant already. He had a history of domestic violence and assault. 
I mean, he was, this wasn't a good guy to begin with. And so, you know, I don't really know the answer to that question, but one thing the show taught me in doing it is what it means to be present and how you feel, you know, cause I had to get used to even showing my emotions on camera, you know, when I'm talking to folks. You know, I- Did they want well, you to? That's a oh, go ahead, question. what's that time? Tanya said, do, I just said, they, do, did they want you to show your emotions or did they want you to be passive and like? You know what? Well, what I love about this show, which is hard to believe because there's some real slimy TV shows and production companies. I never really get direction on how to be. You know what I'm saying? If I ever get direction, it's like be whatever you authentically feel you should be in this moment. You know, and I even get direction to the opposite. There, there are times when I, I put on accidentally, I have to unprogram the reporter voice that we use so there are times when I'm like so how did you feel when this happened and then you know director be like you know you could just just talk just just talk to this person you know what I'm saying so actually what happens is usually I get so lost in conversation that I forget the cameras out there and before you know it you know when you're doing an interview you relate to someone you start sharing they're telling me about their pain I'm telling them about my pain I'm bringing up things that I thought I didn't even think about anymore you know I, and then the tears start flowing and then I'm like okay there we go. Now, now, now I'm crying on TV. Well, here we go. <laughs> so it's kind of refreshing, though, to be able to open up like that. I think you you all have both touched on something. And as as you're talking, I think that's the magic of you. I've watched you um, blossom, Domati. And in many ways, we're in an era where the, the fake, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm on the news, you know, all of that, you know, how we comport ourselves. And I see people straightened up and, you know, you have to... I, that authenticity, but Tanya's talking about tapping into your emotions. You're absolutely right, you know, and I think all of us suffer from that, but men in particular, and black men especially because there are so many different things that are, you know, on you to to navigate society that, like, what does it mean to be a man? Oh, men don't cry. We talked with Jason Wilson about that. Men don't cry. You don't show emotion. You're not going to hold her hand. You're not going to, you know, all of these things. But it, at the end of the day, you're not being a person. You're not being a human being, which makes it, I guess, easy for you to then cross over and take somebody's life because you're not ar already not feeling like a human. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting, too, is like there's this dual. This is this is deep. I hope I can articulate this the way I want to. Um there are ways that some women accidentally reinforce toxic masculinity. By that, I mean, we want men to be strong. We admire strong, stoic men, but at the same time, want you to be vulnerable. But if you're too vulnerable, you soft. And your woman are gonna, is going to wonder, like, man, this dude got more emotions than me. You know, so some, and I'm saying some women, I'm not overgeneralizing. But there are times when it sounds cool and cute on social media to talk about men need to show their emotions more. But the female friends that I know have talked about, man, this guy is great. He's a good guy. He's real cool. He's in tune with his emotions, but I'm not attracted to him. I'm attracted to this guy who might not be the best for me, but his disposition conveys strength in the way that attracts me. And so for a lot of men, it's figuring out, you know, how to be in your authentic self, how to deal with those emotions while at the same time maintaining the strength and what it means to be a man, being masculine in the way that's authentic and pure to you without being toxic and still being vulnerable, you know? So it's a lot to think I about. I wanna jump in on that because I think some of that thing between the men and the women, it's like men feel like they can go around and just hit, hit it and quit it. And they're not ready when a woman can do that. And so when a woman is in hit it and quit it mode and you're gonna get emotional, that's when they like, you punking out, okay? Like, no. Right, no, no, right, no. Right, right. But if we invest, 
if we invested in some long term, we want all the sides. But but let me tell you though, not just uh, when it comes to relationship hitting and quitting mode. I'm even talking about if a brother come home and he complaining about his day. You know, it's like a woman is like, well, shoot, I've been through some things today too. Right. This dude is always whining. I need you to be my strength because I've been out here hustling. You being soft, like you know, so not even just when it comes no. to like dating, but that part of it. I think you're. I think you've hit on the thing, you know, and and even you know, cross race, you know, black. <clears throat> being black is so stressful that when you get in a relationship and you're black, and then you got the black stuff, which is why I see a lot of you know the the interracial thing because white women are not coming with the same baggage that you have and you don't want to have to deal with the baggage so it's just easier people just want peace right and they want things easy and so if if you have to work too hard at something you're you're, you're gonna tend to not do it right and it's just it's it i don't know I, again i i just i'm not very optimistic anymore but <laughs> i, I gotta jump in on that i agree with yes, you sir. i think that a lot of times black couples it's like everybody is fighting, fighting, fighting. So there's no give and receive. It's like, I had that too. I had that too. When you're with your white partner, they go, oh, poor baby, you don't deserve that. It should have been different. But ultimately that's not setting you up to prepare you for the real world. It might feel nice, but, but it ain't preparing you for the real world. Well, it, it reminds me of a slight cop out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes when I look at, I'm not against interracial relationships at all, you know, but there are certain brothers where I, where I see them and uh, and I see their woman and I feel like you, you know, I look at them as weak. Like, I feel like you couldn't stomach being able to be an alpha male next to an alpha woman because a woman is going to be cool with being soft and what if she trusts where you're leading and the way you're taking her to. You know, women ain't got no problem being led as long as you know where you're going. But guys who don't really have that, you know, want a woman that's just gonna go for whatever okie doke they're giving them, and that, so so when I see that woman, that kind of judge a guy a little differently. I, I me too. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. But you ain't come to talk about that um, today. <laughs> Double T underscore is where you can follow him. True Life MTV dot com is where you can find his stuff, and you're you're working on a bunch of other things. I want to ask you about the Britney Spears a little bit because I know you know I know. Oh yeah. yeah. So the conservativeship that they're coming back. Um, first the judge was like, no, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you, do you have hope that Britney Spears will be free? <laughs> I do. It's so, it's so weird to hear, uh, hear us yelling free, free a white woman, like free Britney. Like, you know, I only hear that for the gangsters, like free Lejumba, you know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting seeing this hashtag, but I do think that because of the public outcry and that emotional testimony hit so many people, the documentary, so many people are learning what it is that she actually went through because you really wouldn't know. And the relationship between her and her dad, Jamie Spears, the dad wasn't even in her life, pops in and now is trying to control everything. And then a lot of the conservatorship doesn't make sense. Normally it's for people who are incapacitated and can't make their own decisions. And if anything, somebody should manage that person's finances. Why should they manage her person? And in the documentary, they also asked the question, you know, we're not gonna, they have sealed medical documents that allegedly say that Britney Spears doesn't have the faculties to take care of herself, but they won't release that to her lawyers. So there are a lot of fuzzy areas. Her lawyers just signed, resigned saying they didn't know for the past decade that she didn't want to be a part of this. It's a lot of mess. And I think it's starting to come to life. 
you know, that gets me back to law school and, and law school, they tell you that the law is not about keeping contracts in order. It's about increasing the wealth in the world. And so ultimately the law is supporting whoever is going to keep the money flowing. And she gets to be a white slave because there's a whole lot of money being spread around a whole bunch of people. Those conservatorships are the same thing from that movie, I Care A Lot, where they find some old person who has no relatives who can come and ask and they're sitting pretty and they're like, oh, we can get a judge to sign that you were, you know, compass, no, whatever that is and take all your stuff too. So Brittany just is a high profile person, but this is happening to people all over the place. So wow. crazy, so crazy. Um, getting back to uh, men's behavior for a second, because this was all, I, I wanted to talk about this too. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, former Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers quarter cornerback, cornerback Richard Sherman has been arrested. Uh, it was reported at ESPN uh, NFL Insider Adam Schefter. Uh, he reported that Sherman was booked for burglary, domestic violence, at the Seattle Correctional Facility at 6:08 a.m uh local time and uh police did confirm that is him that he was arrested and um uh, it looks like some sort of uh, domestic violence but you know the nfl has had an interesting you know if, if you ray ray rice you never get to play again but i believe there's like a kicker white kicker that uh was d domestically brutal and um still got to play uh, so somebody as a as yeah, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger. You know, oh, oh, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, yeah. So one of my producers was like, "Well, why? You know, Richard Sherman? No, he's so you know he's given up his whole career." And I said, "When people are in a rage like that, they're not thinking about the money that they're going to lose, the endorsements they're going to lose, the contracts they're going to lose. This kind of passion violence, which leads to death. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, definitely is brutal." He's not thinking about that. And we've seen this time and time again. People give up everything. Uh, I mean, I just think about OJ. You know, that, like there's this rage. But what about this CTE, which they say in even the college football players? I, you know, I would not let my boys play football at all, which is like, no, you can't play it. There is a common thread between like all of these players having these violent bouts. And it really does go back to masculinity and, and what performative masculinity looks like, right? Like we cool with, you know, Mike Tyson when he's able to keep that beast in the ring and when he's not able to keep it there, yet that has become a part of his psyche and his personality. Not only is it CTE, but take CTE out of it. These are men who, are learned, who have learned how to run a certain <laughs> miles per hour and collide into another human being. And then they're supposed to retire at the mid thirties and forget how to be angry and how to like, to, how to use that force. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's hard to turn off these things that, that reward, you're rewarded for that strength and that anger and that violence. Yet you're supposed to be a civilian elsewhere. Same with war vets who come home. Well, except for the Israeli army, the Israeli military is the only military mm. in the world where they train their military how to return to civilian life. They have a program to train wow. them how to return to civilian life. Mm. Wow, I didn't. I, I, we need to do a whole study on that, and I do think we should all, all of our young people should uh, be in the military in this country. But this country got to get some things right uh, first. For that feels good. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. And then finally, I just wanted to ask you again um, about the Bachelor. I don't watch the Bachelor or the Bachelorette. I don't watch any of them, and I think this country is not ready for the interraciality 
I don't think they're ready for that. I don't think they're ready for it has to be just all white people doing this because anytime they insert black people into this bachelor bachelorette thing, a whole ass mess happens. So you saw the whole thing with Rachel Kirk, Kirk Connell. I don't even know her cause I don't watch it. Uh, but last year some tweets came out. I think she was on a plantation or did some, some stupid stuff and tweet out some stuff and that got her canceled. And then the host got canceled cause he tried to defend her. Uh, well, once again, the Bachelorette, there's one of the contestants. His name is Justin Glaze. He has come forward to apologize for some old tweets. Reportedly, he wrote them uh, when he was a teenager back in 2009 and 2011, where he joked about black women. He's black, by the way, or phenotypically black, because black is a state of mind. Uh, he had some homophobic tweets, and he was even talking about, you know, uh, he had one tweet said, if she is darkest flavor flave, or uh, has a body big enough to be an avatar? Is she black? Like that? Like he was talking about somebody being dark skinned. He also declared that movies needed a well-spoken Caucasian cashier, and they need to have a rude black bitch as a cashier just once. And just like you know, teenager stupid quote, uh, you know, tweets. But, but you know, this can, should we have these kind of programs where people are dating when when people clearly can't behave themselves? Go ahead, Tanya. So. I don't know if you all are familiar with the show Unreal. It won a Peabody in its first year. It was made by Marty Knoxon. And Marty Knoxon is a showrunner who she wanted to be like a National Geographic uh, producer. She got on one of those type of shows. It was canceled. And she thought, well, I'll find another place to do that. And she got stuck working on one of those Bachelor shows. And Unreal is the story of her life becoming an alcoholic, a drug addict, overweight and learning how to manipulate people to make good television. And then she made a Peabody award-winning series. So there's no surprises that these people had these tweets. They knew that and they are releasing that information at the right oh. moment to build the buzz for the show. It is all by design. And if you watch Unreal, it's quite, it's it's sliming, but Marty Knoxon, you know, talks about that's what your job is. Tell this girl he really loves you when you know he's gonna pick the other girl and have the camera there. But when he tells her it's not her, you're setting these people up on this show all the time to make good television. You do they know it? Piece in place for me because, no, the oh, people ahead, do not ahead, know ahead. it. The people do not know it. Those producers actually look for people who are on certain kind of medications because they found that certain mental illnesses make good television. You know why what you're saying makes sense? When you, anytime I become involved in a production, oftentimes I have a consultant company that asks me to give them all of my social media and they run it through a filter just to see if I'm, if I've said anything crazy, if I'm homophobic, if I hate black people, hate black women, they, they just filter it for all that craziness. So it's hard for me to imagine that a casting director doesn't know what we can do it ourselves. You don't even need an outside company to do it. It's very easy to find what someone has said in the past. And the other puzzle piece you put in place is how do they manage to find the one black man that hate black women and cast them and say that this is the black man? That, like, how, how do you how you consistently find these Oreos? Like, how are you doing that? Because it makes good television and it's going to get the ratings up and everybody's going to be talking about it. It's by design. Interesting. What do we do with that to show? So are we are the people who watch this stuff? Because, I again, I've never watched one season of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Just like I don't care enough about white people. And then, then when he brought the black people, I said, I still don't care. Still don't care. 
Now, you can get me with a, a housewife show, Atlanta or Potomac. You can get me with Married to Medicine. I could, I'll lean into that. But even that probably is a little bit scripted too, right? It is. So what happens is they, they tell them what they want it to be. They shoot the improvised version of the show. They look at the footage. They go, okay, we need this scene. Now go back in and have this scene because that's what we need. So and then they, what you'll find is when, when they interview some of the actors, uh, don't lose your train of thought, please. When they lose some of the actors, um, or, and they tell them the, the framework, after a minute, people just start to love the camera and they become a caricature of themselves. So it's not even like they're scripting every move. Sometimes all the producer has to do is say, don't you not like her hair? Yeah, I do hate her hair. And then it becomes a whole thing where she's like, her hair looks a mess and all. So they, they do, they just sprinkle it. Sometimes they don't even tell them. They just, they just add a little sauce in there and they so, go off from there. I've been, you know, I don't know if I can go back now. Uh, fresh out ain't going back. So, uh, you know, the, 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 they're making the rounds, all of these, uh, <laughs> these, the, these uh, reality show folk. Right. And, you know, you get a, you get a chance to decide who you want to have on. Do you want to, and I was like, it's a, a Potomac housewife. I was like, ah, no, nah, you know, I like, I feel like, and I had this conversation with Ebony K Williams because, you know, she's, she's fam. And I was like, why are you going on this show? Sis, you are, you're a lawyer. She was like profile. You can't get a better for you talking about millions of people. If there are things I want to get done out here, this is the this is the way. And I'm like, oh, but we, you know, and she's successful. She 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 went viral. You know, it, it, she made the the you know the headlines that I'm sure that they love uh, coming in as a black woman. She obliterated everyone verbally, and um, I'm yeah. like, but and then I say, well, this is not a good look. But then I can't. You know, I'm wrong because she's going to go off and have a wonderful career. I look at the the skinny, whatever, vodka chick uh, who I, I didn't know if she's talented enough, but she has a whole industry. She left Brittany, whatever her name is. I don't even know her name. Bethany. Um, I do know her name. But, you know, it's it's what's our role in this? How do we? Should we... we need to stop begging for invites to their parties. That's the number one thing. You know, and we need to look at diversity for real, right? Like we we just we'll be like, we need more black representation on this show. What kind of black folk you want on this show? You know, like what what kind? It's different. There are different different experiences, and I think that you know, be, before time, you just made the point that she made. I'm like casting director, see somebody black, and they don't know the difference between you know Karen Black and Karen Black. <laughs> you know, and but but Tanya just pointed out, it's got to be purposeful. Like it's gotta be purposeful. So I, I think to answer your question, it's us. Stop begging for a seat, a seat at their table. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's complex. Is that the fame we want? Is that the fame we want? Like I just watched the, the, the one and only Dick Gregory. I mean, there were things in there I didn't know Dick Gregory did. Dick Gregory went viral for doing things to help the community. He made attention by running across country on a juice fast, you know, and then started the Bahamian diet. I mean, today, do we think, no, because he was alive just five years ago and he wasn't trying to get on Twitter and, and Instagram and get, you know, to become an influencer. I mean, his celebrity was about his activism, not about, let me just be famous. I mean, can Ebony K. Williams go argue before the Supreme Court and have credibility now? No. You know, but, the, but I think a lot of people, unfortunately, we've made fame a capital, such a capital, that people would prefer to do that than to make a difference i mm. think and, and or they delude themselves into thinking i could still make a difference because you know look this guy became president he was a whole ass 
ass. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how, mm-hmm. how do you argue that? He became president of the United States, a reality TV show. Imbecile became president of the United States. All bets are off right now. So it's even hard for me to sit here and make the argument because. But he's a white man. And all the white organizations and corporations got on board because they were making money for themselves off of one of themselves. They would not do that for one of us in the global majority. So he doesn't count. They got behind him. It made them money, and they were still upholding white supremacy. All right. 866-801-8255. Let me ask uh, you both uh, this question. Uh, Tanya Pincus is in Panama right now. She's scoping out different places. I know, Doma T, you, you are, uh, your family's from Ghana. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the, the direction in which this nation is going. And I'm I'm concerned as a black person living in this space that it feels uh, more dangerous than ever. You know, it just mm-hmm. feels more dangerous than ever. And I, I'm wondering for you, because you, you, you navigate in spaces differently. Uh, what are you g- getting out there in the streets, you know, as you're talking to people? Are you optimistic? Do you feel like there's a turn? I, I was really happy about the young people. I'm like, those 16, 17, 18-year-olds, 20, 21s, they're going to save us. But the older folk, <laughs> the hillbilly horde, they're not going anywhere. No, they're not. I, I'm optimistic, though, because black folks in my age range are starting to give less of an F about, about respectability, about a lot of things. You know, I, and, and it's become, we're getting to a space where our talent is beginning to proceed respectability you know I even look at the way we talked about this before I look at the way I present in the show I won't even use myself as an example I was watching Spectrum News in New York the other day I saw a brother with his head twisted like I don't even show my hair because I'm, I'm locking right now and it looks crazy when you lock it you know in the in the struggle stage this brother had his head twisted was doing a political report he was cold switching like a mug with his voice but I was like I, I see you you know I see him and he didn't feel like, first of all, he has this job, he has his natural. When you talk to people working corporate America after what happened in 2020, companies are having conversations internally with their black employees asking for leadership on how we can make this a better space for you. Now, some of it's performative and some of it is real and actionable, but at the end of the day, the conversations are happening. Um, there, a new study came out that's showing that people are quitting because companies are saying that they need to go back to the office and they're like, wait, I've been doing my job remotely this time. I can just go somewhere else with the hybrid model. And so we're getting into a space where people are embracing autonomy. And that makes me encouraged because more and more, we're not waiting on them to tell us how we should be, how we should move. We don't care who doesn't like us. We just we just doing what we want to do. And I'm seeing that more and more with folks in the workforce in the millennial generation. So I'm, I'm optimistic. A lot of young people are becoming digital nomads because these countries will let you come in and get some kind of residency and be working remotely. And then so many of us are strapped. OK, these uh, this 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 minority that is is armed, they're not going into the communities that are that because we, we are advertising that we are strapped. OK, mm-hmm. they, they don't want to they, they like shooting at targets. They don't like shooting at people that shoot back. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. 866-801-8255. Uh, both of you watch Summer of Soul, I'm imagining. Summer of Soul. Did you watch? No, you, I don't. You, I don't. No. You have not watched Summer of Soul? I have I am, not, man. You, I know. I'm in violation. Is, you are. 
All right. High on the hog. I'm just I'm checking your black card right now. High on the high hog. On, I have yes, I watch High on the Hog. Right. That's mandatory viewing right there. Our so mother's garden. Our mother's garden. Our mother's garden was wonderful. Okay. Um, on Netflix, produced by the ah, I, I wish I could remember that sisters from New Orleans name. Yeah, that was a beautiful piece. Okay. But I haven't All seen right. Summer Soul yet. Chantrell, yes. Yes. Amazing. Okay. Well, I was just saying that because I know you're doing something with the origins of music with the Smithsonian. Yes. So you have to watch yes. Summer of Soul because that's going to give you or I, where are you in the in this in this documentary process? So we're, we're working on Meaning in Music, uh which is a documentary with MTV News and Smithsonian Channel about the origins of hip hop and its impact on American and global culture. So we it's five episodes, five 10-minute episodes dropping digitally. Um, it may end up airing, airing on Smithsonian Channel, but you know, you got to let me work my magic. But uh, it's um Five episodes, and they each have different themes. One theme is talking about feminism and hip-hop and sexual and the sexual revolution we're experiencing. Another episode on the future of hip-hop and how genre is becoming irrelevant. Uh, we talk about how Tyler, the creator, for example, won best rap album for Igor when it was actually a pop album. And if he was a white artist, he wouldn't even have been in that category. So we talk about that. There's an episode about the history of political activism in rap music. And so it's, it's just a super dope, comprehensive documentary that fuses, you know, the, the, the coolness and the aesthetic of MTV with the uh, historical accuracy and research and the credibility that the Smithsonian has in a way that I haven't really seen um in in recent documentaries on this on this subject but then again i haven't seen summer of soul so let me shut my mouth on that part but it's a dope it's a dope piece and remember summer of soul that was six weeks of concerts and we only got two hours of it so there's probably a lot of imagine still to be mined from that where were oh you uh i know i was a baby um and, and i'm not from harlem but you're in chicago had you heard of this at all because everybody heard of woodstock yeah you know, no, no, three hundred thousand people in a six-week no. period. One the, a concert featuring everyone from Stevie Wonder to Mahalia Jackson. I just and Nina Simone. I mean, it was Sly Stone. I mean, it was everything. But that just is one example of how this Hollywood capitalist system decides what images they want to put out. So this was a white guy who shot this, and he couldn't sell it. You know, think about the fact that for 30 years, Motown was making the top music in the country and didn't win any Grammys. None? For the first, like, 20 years of Motown, no Grammys. That's what that Motown musical on Broadway is about. So it's about when did they decide they're going to let us in the room? And it goes back to what we're talking. One thing I love about Kanye and his confidence is when he doesn't win an award, he says, your award show has no credibility. You know, we're sitting here trying to say we need we need to validate our artists. No, the Grammys just doesn't have credibility because Motown ran musical culture, not Afro-American music culture, American music culture Facts. for decades. So uh, it, it just it just doesn't have credit. We don't need a seat at that table. We, we have to operate within these systems. But at the same time, I just I balk at the idea of begging them for stuff. I no, I completely agree, which is why I'm side eyeing. Uh, the Emmys, but it's like damned if you. I know the Emmys is like damn. We found every black person we could and nominated them, and you're still complaining. Y'all still mad. But <laughs> but it, to me, you watered it down. If Don Cheadle can get nominated for 98 seconds in the Marvel uh, <laughs> series, 98 seconds, even he was confused. Something's wrong here. Like y'all are doing too much. Like there's nobody there that's saying, hey, let's temper this. <laughs> 
it's, it's, it's all the black people. Arb- it's so arbitrary, man. Well, I think it's about, what do we do? We're uncomfortable. How do we get comfortable? What if we do this? Will this make us comfortable? Will this make us comfortable? It's moving away from discomfort rather than moving forward towards a vision. And they don't yet have a vision for including us fully in this American dream. They just want to get comfortable with, with our discomfort with how it is. So they, they don't have a vision. They just are uncomfortable. One of the things we talked about with that was like how Black art uh, gets watered down and communicated through a white filter. Like we talk about, you know, our sister Rosetta Tharp and of course Chuck Berry invented rock, rock and roll, um, but they call Elvis Presley the king of it. And uh, we talk about how, you know, different artists in hip hop, you know, because of the way we move culture, you know, you'll have Gucci go back and co-op Dapper Dan's um, designs, you know, before they go ahead and hire and make them part of a thing. So it's it's all this through line of love black code. Everybody want to be black, but don't nobody want to be black. You know, so what what is what does that look like? You know, but that's just them circulating the money within one another. So if they can get you on a leash, they will happily give you a little bit of money as long as the money keeps filtering back to them. Doma T Pongo MTV. You can follow him at Doma T underscore Tanya Pinkins is here, of course, as well. Also, a shout out to the gamers. Uh, a copy of Super Mario 64 sold for more than $1.5 million. Smashing the record for the most expensive sale of a video game at auction. Nintendo 64 game uh, before that, a sealed copy. It was a sealed copy. So somebody had the foresight to buy it, seal it, never open it. So here's my question. 866-801-8255. million, including fees. At a Dallas auction house. Uh, my question is, what do you do with it when you buy it? Do you put it in a glass case, and what's the value of it? So you just put it in a glass case and hope it appreciates. Is that is that? And why is it valuable? I just you know it was released in 1996. I just think about I played it. My brother actually, my brother had a, a, the game console. I would come home from college, sneak home because I lived about 30 minutes off campus, and I would come home during the afternoons and I go to class and play while my brother was at school. Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, all of that. Um, so he should have just kept it in a in a package. Thoughts? I've been to wealthy people's homes where literally one house I was in, they had the dress that Marilyn supposedly wore when the wind blew up. It was in a glass case in the middle of their living room. And then they had another room that was supposedly the outfits that the Beatles wore for their first American tour and their first set of drums. Like, how do you know that's for real? Did you do some DNA tests to know that that was it? But like their whole house was filled with items like that as if you were in a museum, but for things like that. So to me, Super Mario is no crazier. You know, and it, and it looks like a piece of art, you know? So it's like, you know, some people buy art to appreciate, some people buy art to appreciate it in their home. And then if it becomes more valuable, then they sell it. So, you know, you get a video game, keep it in the case, display it. He probably has a whole collection of games. I don't know uh, if the guy, if that was the only game he had, but he probably would have been happy just keeping it, even if, it, if he didn't appraise it and knew it was that valuable. You got to have a lot of money to throw away for things like that. But how do you know something's valuable, right? So so if it's something like that, you buy two copies, you play with one, and then you keep one in the case. I know, as I mentioned yesterday, I know a few people that collect comic books. How do you know yeah. that it's going to be able to go for millions of dollars at an auction? Even these NFTs, like there's, there's this massive... A uh, weird thing going on where values being placed. Even you talked about Gucci. Who who said that Gucci's worth something? Like based on there, what? There are people who make markets. 
So I used to date a bond trader, trader at Canner Fitzgerald. And if you asked him what he did for a living, he said, I'm a fucking oops, bank robber. And he said, I can make a market out of anything. He said he'd listen to some of these uh, Ivy League people and they'd be like, well, I don't have anything to sell. He said, no, you can make a market out of anything. He said, I can make a market out of how many days you and I are going to date. And then I'll sell. It's going to be between 25 and 45. The beauty is that I get paid whether you win or lose. So there are people who are sitting around and deciding, okay, we're going to make this artist hot next year. And he's going to be at this museum and this museum and this museum. So we'll tell our friends and they can buy the art now at this regular price. But next year, it's going to go up in value when they're at the Whitney. There are people who are making the decisions, the NFTs, all of that. People are sitting and creating those markets. Who are these people, though? And can we be those people? But we do it we naturally, right? In some, in some ways, we already are. I mean, you're a tastemaker. I, I bought some of them socks you've been talking about. But you know what I'm good, saying? Like, socks are good, though. They're good socks. You know, I'm that, not going to give you trashy socks. But, you know, yeah, you yeah, need but, socks. But we, know, we know the value of things sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, even uh, going back to something I know you'll appreciate, records. Like, if you have the first vinyl or something, you may have just appreciated it just because you liked this album. And you're like, if I like it and I know good music, I'm sure other people are going to like it and appreciate good music too. Let me not open this one. Let me get two of them and just hold this down for a little bit. So sometimes it's just a gamble and a gut feeling when you love a thing. Yeah, but socks, you, 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 they have value. You know, things that you eat, you know, the, the things, like this is a video game. Things you use have value. It has There's value. No value. I don't understand. But they're nerds. They're nerds. Yeah. And the nerds right. know, I, I want that. Do you play uh, video games, Domati? Are you a video? When I when I do, I'm not a gamer, but when I do, I'm locked for like three hours, and then I won't play again for like the next few months. What's your game? <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Oh, who? Mortal who, Kombat. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite avatar? I like uh, I like Jax? Uh, Reptile. No, not Jax. So I wanted to like Jax because he was he was black and strong, but he's slow. And he only got a couple moves. And all he do is get close on your body slam. I'm like, I don't want that. That remind me of a dude I know. I need like some supernatural abilities, man. I like Reptile. There's another character, Ermac. Reptile and Ermac. I, actually, one day I had a really tough day. It might have been when George Floyd happened. You know, not to bring down the energy, but it was a really tough day. And I remember I jumped on Mortal Kombat, played for like five hours. I was cutting off heads, doing fatalities. It was a release. You know, going back to that masculinity thing, that was my release. <laughs> like, so, but then I didn't touch it for like the next few months. It's collecting dust right now. And so my <laughs> video game was The Sims. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you all remember SimCity. That yes. was my video game. You learned how to build cities put in the power plant. If you interacted with the game properly, then people would move into your communities. And that was when I would be upset, I could play 10 hours. And if people made me mad, I would build an avatar that made all their qualities. And then I'd either stick them in a pool and take out the thing so they couldn't get out and they drown. Or I put them in the kitchen oh, wow. cooking and take out the doors. Let me find out I'm gonna be covering you next season. <laughs> <laughs> you better, you better Only watch out. <laughs> Yo, Tanya, something, something ain't right there. 866-801-8255. I was just going to ask because I'm I'm toying with, and I have been for the last seven years, uh, with the idea of building uh, culturally responsive games uh, for our children. But, you know, it's, the, when I say it out of my mouth, it sounds corny because we're in an era where kids want to do Grand Theft Auto and rape prostitutes and, and kill everything. Uh, like you said, you know, rip off heads, take out spines. But is that conditioning? And can we reverse condition? Can we condition 
towards community and, you know, conflict resolution and get points for that? Can we condition children? I feel like we can, but I don't know if we have the appetite because we got, you know, people like Tanya's ex who like I can make a market out of anything who's selling us all of the depraved things that, you know, is creating this world of violence and, you know, or is that just natural? You know, the only thing that gives me hope for for that game that you're talking about is Sims. I didn't like Sims because it felt too much like responsibility. The hell I want to build a home for. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure if I'm ready to do that in real life as an adult. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. And so like you, but, but you got folks like Tanya. Who, yeah. But Tanya who, uh, drowning people is setting them on fire in the kitchen and stuff. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. She was building cities fire. before she got they to that point. They couldn't get out. They couldn't. They, they, I didn't set them on fire. The fire caught up, and they couldn't get out of the kitchen. But I didn't do anything. The game did that. Spoken <laughs> like a true white capitalist. You sound like <laughs> <laughs> you sound like one of these billionaires. Look, I, I, I want to plug y'all in. Dom, Domitie's from Chicago. Tanya Pinkins is from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Chicago, Chicago, oh. something. All right, Domitie, you're from the West Side. No, South Side. South Side. Where? Where? Yes, over east, 69th and Stony Island. Oh, okay. East side. Yeah, 69th okay. and Hardy. Yeah, southeast side. I was, side. Where'd you go to school? I went to school in Calumet City, TF North. I went to Beasley before that. And did you, you get you some shrimp from the bridge? You know, you got, that's customary. You talking about Lawrence or, or the other one? <laughs> Both of them. Yeah. Depending on which side of town La- 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 Lawrence is my spot. Lawrence is my spot. What high school you go to? See, this is the Chicago question. What high school I know, I wanted to, to see what would happen. I- Went to school with Michelle Robinson. Do you know who I'm talking about? Whitney Young, baby. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, look, a little Chicago history, Karen, too. If you went to Beasley, you would normally go to Whitney Young. Uh, Whitney Young is where Michelle Obama went. Very good school. You know, they produced Tanya Pickens and, uh, and Michelle Obama's. When I, I was devastated when my family moved from the South Side to the suburbs because my education like lapsed and I got I got involved in so much mess because I wasn't challenged in school. Got more trouble in the damn suburbs than I ever did on the east side of the shot. But uh yeah, so you gotta ask when people went to high school. Tells you a lot about them. Now now Tanya was Michelle Robinson in your class? Like did we you were know in her? classes together. Yeah I knew her. We were in classes together because we were in the gifted classes and the AP classes, but she's a few years behind me. She's an underclassman. So I wasn't thinking about Michelle Robinson. Okay, but was she pop? Was she, you know, because it's always. No, did you she know she was a little girl with glasses on? No, she was like no. no Were you popular? popular? Um, you know, I've always been that person who people wanted me in their club, and I just didn't ever want to be in anybody's club. So, like, there's a picture of the Whitney Young Choir, and everybody's looking at the choir director, and I'm looking somewhere else. I guess that would be me. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm fascinated. Um, this is interesting. Okay. Domity, are you, you're in New York now. Uh, yeah. and, and do you miss what, what's the biggest thing? Cause I love Chicago in the summertime. Like mm. that's one of my favorite cities oh, in yeah, the summer. Yeah. Y'all could keep your winters, but summertime in Chicago is everything. What's summertime the one thing shot. you miss about Chicago right now? Riding down Lakeshore drive with the windows down. I went to Chicago just for my birthday. In fact, I went to Chicago July 7th for one day. I flew in at 9 a.m. and I flew out at 9 p.m. Uh, because I had to see somebody and handle some business. And I just took two hours. You know, I took the long route, rolled down Lakeshore Drive. That was my thing. I miss driving. In New York, you know, driving is, is a headache. In Chicago, driving for me is therapeutic, you know. What's That's the one thing it. you miss about Chicago, Tanya? 
the food. I mean, I got so many food spots that I have to like just go and eat my way through my time there, including my own family's house. So I, it's all about the food. Chicago's one of the best food cities in the world. Ribs, pizza. I mean, like we got everything. We got music. We we got that that lake that's like like the ocean. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. Did you know this? Did you know this, Karen? They're about to rename Lakeshore Drive after John Baptiste Point Dusabo, who you know was the first settler of Chicago, black. You know yeah. they're about to call it Dusabo Lakeshore Drive. I did wow. not know that. I love that. I love you coming with all of the stuff. All right. A uh, few people on Twitter already said they saw a religious killing or jealous rage, which I have to check it out on MTV. It came on last night at 10 p.m. Eastern and the season kicked off. So every Tuesday at 10 p.m., you could check out Dalma T with the with the true crime, true life uh, on MTV. Uh, and when is the Smithsonian uh, documentary and- coming out? Okay. That, that is TBD. Can't talk about it. You know, can't even <laughs> I talk I about slip it. it in again. But you, but you know, you know, you know, Karen, Karen, is, we, we homies, you know, I forget the cameras on. I'm talking to Karen. I, I gave you a scoop. But True Life Crime, this is what's interesting with True Crime Week. Actually, this week, True Life Crime comes on yesterday, Tuesday, today, Wednesday, and tomorrow, Thursday. Oh. So all, all this week at 10 p.m., catch True Life episodes. We know how much folks love binging it. So you can watch it tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern. You can catch the first season uh, on MTV.com or on my website, domat.net. I got the links all in there, too. And uh, yeah, man. And then after that, next week and and into perpetuity, uh, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. I love it. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy that you you. you still will, you know, come back and visit us a little bit. Domati Pongo. Follow him at D-O-M-E-T-I underscore on the Twitters and Domati.net because I guess he's the only Domati that could get all of that. I appreciate that. Thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Tanya, yes. it was great to meet you. It was great you. Too much you. fun. All right. I'll be back thank soon you. for sure. Okay, I'll see you in them classes. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.